subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen, but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to talk about a trend that I've seen on social media that's concerning me. It's people annoying their pets. Now, I know that they think it's cute. I see it on their faces. I hear it in their laughter. Look at how mad my pet's getting. But I really want these people to put themselves in their pet's shoes and ask themselves, is putting my pet under duress worth the likes, worth going viral? Because I don't think it is. And this trend started small. It was like, how many times can I pet my cat on the top of the head before it gets annoyed? There's another video where people are using their dog's snout like a boppet. Oh, that's some family fun. But the one that took it over the line, where owners are dressing up in a costume and scaring their pets. And judging from the reaction of the cats or the dogs, they're not having a good time. But just imagine for a second, if someone were to pull that prank on you, where you open up the door and suddenly there's someone dressed in all black, head to toe, mask on, knife in hand, and they start chasing you around the house. I'm sure it will get your heart pumping. But then the person takes off the mask and starts laughing like, oh, ha, 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 look at you running scared, crapping your pants. Oh, that's so funny. You know, I filmed it too. I'm going to put it online. Going to make it go viral. How would that make you feel? These pets look at you for guidance and affection. And the same people that are supposed to give them that are pulling practical jokes on them. This is a mixed signal that you're sending your pets. But what gets me is that one day, These people are going to tick off their pets so much that the dog's going to go, all right, I've had enough of this crap, and lash out. And the owner's going to be like, oh my God, why did this happen? Why did they bite my face off? And they're going to send the dog to the pound, say it's a dangerous animal, or they're going to have it euthanized, all because you wanted to go viral. Now look, I know that this might be a sensitive subject for me, because I've always wanted a pet. I grew up around dogs and cats and hamsters and fish and things, but they were never in my house. I've never owned one. And up until, you know, before the pandemic, my lifestyle was not susceptible to having a pet. Because I was out from 8 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night. And in my opinion, it's not fair to leave a pet, especially a, a dog, home alone for that long. They're pack animals. They need to be around others, whether it's other dogs or other people. So it never seemed fair to me. Bottom line, let's treat our pets with respect. They're part of your family. They're not clickbait for likes. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars watch at your own risk. Three stars standard fare. Four stars worth checking out. And five stars must see. 
Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing A Fistful of Dollars from 1964. It was directed by Sergio Leone, who helmed Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in America, and Duck You Sucker. He was a second unit assistant director on The Last Days of Pompeii and an uncredited second unit director on Ben-Hur. The screenplay was co-written by the director, alongside Victor Andres Katana and Jaime Comas. It stars Clint Eastwood as the man with no name. He was born and raised in San Francisco. He didn't excel in school and was a bit of a troublemaker in his youth. Over the years, he held numerous odd jobs, including lifeguard, grocery clerk, and golf caddy. He was drafted into the United States Army in 1951 and stationed at Fort Ord with Chuck Hill, who had contacts in Hollywood and introduced Clint to cameraman Irving Glassberg, who arranged for an audition with Arthur Lubbin. He was impressed with Eastwood's presence, but suggested he attend acting classes. He would have minor parts throughout the rest of the decade, but it wasn't until 1958 that he was cast as Rowdy Yates in Rawhide. His profile raised in the 60s, with roles in Spaghetti Westerns. In the 70s, he made his directorial debut with Play Misty for Me, and had a side hustle as Mayor of Carmel by the Sea from 1986 to 1988. He continues to write, act, and direct into his seventh decade in the business. His films include In the Line of Fire, Bridges of Madison County, Mystic River, Flags of Our Father, Gran Torino, J. Edgar, The Mule, and most recently, Cry Macho. He's won four Academy Awards for Best Picture and Best Director of Unforgiven and Million Dollar Baby. This is something to look out for. The opening credits were designed by Eugenio Lardini. He spent the early part of his career creating the Italian movie posters for such films like High Noon before transitioning to credit sequences. He was responsible for designing the titles for all three movies in the Dollars trilogy, and inspired by the James Bond movies. So let's jump into it. The man with no name, who's oddly credited as Joe, rides his horse into the town of San Miguel. As he takes a drink from the well, he spots a little boy running into a building, but is soon scared off by two men firing guns at him. The stranger watches the action, but doesn't intervene. He continues trekking through when he's confronted by a group of men known as the Baxters, who warn that it's not smart to go wandering so far from home. They shoot their guns at the feet of his horse, and it runs off. The man with no name enters the inn, searching for food and something to drink. He doesn't have any money, and the keeper tells him that if he wants to earn any, there's always someone eager to pay for killing. The keeper gives him the lay of the land. Bandits and smugglers come down from Texas, crossing the frontier to stock up on guns and liquor, because the cost is less. Then they go back and sell the products at a profit to the Native Americans. There are two factions that control the main resources. The Rojo family, made up of brothers Don Miguel, the leader, the violent Esteban, and the ambitious Ramon, whose cartel smuggles and sells liquor. And of course, the Baxters, led by Sheriff John Baxter, who are big gun merchants. They enlist all the locals who hang around the frontier for work and pay in dollars. The man with no name leaves the inn and makes a proclamation in the town square. He hears that Don Miguel Rojo is hiring men, and he might just be available, but he doesn't work cheap. Then he approaches the Baxters, and asks them to apologize for upsetting his horse. They laugh at that notion, and the man with no name quickly draws his weapon and kills four of the members. 
Seeing these acts and not wanting the stranger to cause him any trouble, Don Miguel Rojo hires him for $100, but asks him to keep a low profile. In a few days, a troop of cavalry will be passing through San Miguel, and he wouldn't want the military to stick their noses in the family business. When Esteban learns of the hiring, he's furious and offers to eliminate the man with no name, who happens to overhear the conversation. He decides that he can turn a profit by pitting the families against each other. Here's a quote without context. Our orders are to make sure he doesn't die, but also to make sure he regrets the day he was born. If you've never seen a Western, A Fistful of Dollars is a great introduction into the genre. It's a breezy film, and the pace never lets up. For an older movie, I think it's aged well. The opening credits were visually appealing and hooks you right in. I thought the color scheme looked great, red and black with names in white. Now, I'm going to refrain from giving away a spoiler, but if you've seen Back to the Future Part 2 or 3, you're already familiar with a particular scene from this movie, whether you know it or not. I thought the acting was decent. Clint Eastwood didn't have many lines, but he said them very straight and matter-of-fact. He did have a couple of funny one-liners, which was surprising. The voices were dubbed, but I didn't find it distracting. Much better than the Godzilla movies. The sets and landscape look great. It was filmed in Spain and Chinachita's studios in Italy. I think overall, I really like this movie. I've mentioned before, I've never been a huge fan of the Western genre, but I've never been completely exposed to it either. I've seen plenty in passing through my jobs and TV, but it's rare that I actually sit down and watch one. So this was a nice surprise, and I think I could be watching more in the future. Now for a little trivial trivia. At the time, Clint Eastwood was starring in the series Rawhide, and his contract prohibited him from making movies during the offseason in the United States, but he was allowed to accept roles in European productions, which made him available for this movie. The cinematography was captured by Massimo D'Alemano, whose filmography includes Buffalo Bill, For a Few Dollars More, and Banditos. It was edited by Roberto Cinquini, who worked on Bullets Don't Argue, Place Called Glory City, and Spy in Your Eye. The score was composed by Ennio Morricone, who wrote the music for Days of Heaven, The Untouchables, Bugsy, Casualties of War, and won an Academy Award for Best Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures, original score for The Hateful Eight. My personal favorite is probably The Thing, but this movie is already a close second. I really enjoyed this score, and I've been listening to it on YouTube in a loop. The runtime is 1 hour 33 minutes. It had a budget of 215000 and grossed $20 million at the box office. It was followed by two sequels, For a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, often referred to as The Dollars Trilogy, or The Man With No Name Trilogy. I give it 4 out of 5 stars, and that's a very solid 4. Add half a star if you enjoy the genre. If you've seen A Fistful of Dollars and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called MattWatchThat Playback. By the time that I was allowed to stay up past 11pm, Johnny Carson was coming toward the end of his tenure as the host of The Tonight Show. But thanks to infomercials and the internet, I've been able to watch clips to understand why he was called the King of Late Night. He took over the program from Jack Parr in 1962. It originated from New York for the first 10 years, then moved to the West Coast to gain easier access to Hollywood stars. 
Johnny laid the groundwork for what would become the modern format that late night talk shows still use today. He started off the show with the monologue. The jokes that worked were really funny, but the ones that bombed were hilarious because Johnny would look at the audience like, did you not get it? That was brilliant. And sometimes he would look up at the boom mic and tap it to see if it was on. But he always knew how to get the audience back. That's what really makes a great comedian. Then he would do a couple of sketches where he had recurring characters like Art Fern, the sleazy host of Tea Time Movie, and Karnak the Magnificent, a man with mystical powers who would predict the punchlines of jokes. And of course you had the interview section. And that's what I loved most because that's where the spontaneity came in modern talk shows, they have a guest fill out a sheet with some of the things that they've been up to, and of course, the host prompts them to tell the story. So, uh, have, uh, have you been on vacation or anything? Oh yes, I actually have. You know, very natural. But on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson wouldn't talk to the guest, he wouldn't prepare, he wouldn't ask them to fill out a sheet, they just went on air and winged it. And from that, a lot of memorable moments came, and it seemed that the guest enjoyed being on the show as well. It wasn't your standard format. They knew they went to The Tonight Show to have a good time. And sometimes people would just randomly show up. Johnny could be talking to his sidekick, Ed McMahon, and Dean Martin just comes out. No invite, just shows up on the studio floor. And like the professionals they are, they dealt with it. They rolled with the punches. So I've selected a couple of my favorite clips. One is where Johnny is playing Karnak. The second features Ed McMahon, who might have had a few too many drinks at lunch. And the last features Don Rickles, who broke Johnny's cigarette box that he had for years. Now I have to give the caveat, some of the clips contain outdated reference and jokes. It was the 60s, 70s, 80s. It was a different time. So please don't cancel Johnny Carson. I mean, he has been dead since 2005. Maybe we should just let him rest. These clips are all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about House MD, created by David Shore, who worked on Law and Order, Family Law, Hack, and The Good Doctor. It's about a medical savant named Gregory House, who leads a team of specialized doctors at the Princeton Plainsboro Teaching Hospital in New Jersey. They're tasked with solving unusual medical cases, where other doctors have exhausted all possibilities. It stars Hugh Laurie, who is famous in his native England for the sketch comedy series A Bit of Fry and Laurie with Stephen Fry, both of whom would also appear in Jeeves and Wooster and Black Adder starring Rowan Atkinson. They were also members of the Cambridge Footlights with Emma Thompson. It co-stars Lisa Edelston from Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, Robert Sean Leonard of Dead Poet Society fame, Omar Epps from The Wood, Jennifer Morrison, who would take the lead in Once Upon a Time, and Jesse Spencer from Chicago Fire. The series was inspired by Sherlock Holmes, and the team approaches the medical anomalies as a mystery, trying to find clues to solve the case. The format becomes a little formulaic. A patient comes in, the team examines and puts them through tests, then they make a diagnosis. It's wrong the first go-around, leading the patient to get sicker, but the symptoms reveal something new. They put the patient through more tests, make a diagnosis, and treat. The patient gets worse, to the point of the brink of death. Then at the 40th minute, 52 with commercials, Dr. House will come to a revelation and cure the patient. 
The first three seasons are excellent, some of the best programming on television. Then there were some casting changes, and overall the story started to get more expansive, and in some cases, bizarre. There are good episodes and bad episodes after that, but nothing captures that magic from the earlier seasons. House MD was on for 8 seasons, 177 episodes from 2004 to 2012. It received 25 Primetime Emmy Award nominations, winning 5 for sound mixing for a comedy or drama series, directing for a drama series, prosthetic makeup for a series, miniseries, or movie, and writing from a drama series. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates. And come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. It's about a medical savant named George House. George House, nope. The man without a name, who's oddly credited as Joe, rides his horse into the town of San Miguel. Did I say the man without a name? It's the man with no name, yet still called Joe. The cinematography was captured by Massimo Delamitano. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> I'm making his name much more complicated.